How's everybody doing? Is there a quarantine in the first couple rows over here? Thanks. We know Jake is back. <laughs> Bad jokes and all. Um, we're going to get into the word here in a minute, and I, we're going to be talking about distractions and focus today. Yes. Um, question first. How many of you have ever played sports? Sports. No, you don't even have to play on a team. You just played sports of any kind, all right? Uh, Laura, what's your favorite sport? Basketball. Basketball? <laughs> Amy, you've ever played? No, a sport. Okay, those are your favorites? Okay. What about you, Mike? Soccer? There we go. David Snyder, you ever play sports? <laughs> You've attempted it? No. What's your favorite sport? Football. What about you, Logan Bond? <laughs> What's your favorite? What about you, Olin, Logan Olenicek? Soccer and football. How about some people over here? Adam McCartney. Marley, did you ever play sports? Yeah, soccer. Shout out for soccer. All right. Anyone in the back row? Any of the Inmans or Melinda? What did you, what did you, what's your favorite? Hiking? Is, I mean, sure, we'll count it today. Hiking? <laughs> What about you, Steve Inman? Skiing. Whoa. Yeah. Shooting. <laughs> okay. That is a, it is a sport. That is true, right? It needs to be done in the right context, but it is a sport. <laughs> All right. Well, if you've ever played sports, you know the importance of distraction. All right. Think of football for a second. They set up the play to make you think they're going to run the play in one direction and run the play the other direction, right? Even in basketball, they'll set up plays to confuse the defense, and then suddenly, alone in the corner on the three-point line is someone who's not being defended. They pass the ball to him. He shoots a wide-open three. I remember one time I was coaching uh, my son Job's team a few years ago, and we were playing against a team where the team would get the rebound when we missed a shot, and then they would just like launch it down the court to a guy who was wide open every single time and would get a layup. You know what that's called in, in basketball? Cherry picking, all right? They call it that in soccer, too, but you got offsides in soccer. It kind of helps with that. So every time it was killing us, it was killing us, it was killing us. So finally... <clears throat> At halftime, I like pulled Job over. I'm like, here's what we're going to do in the second half, right? You, whenever our team shoots, you're not going to try to get the rebound. You're going to make sure you know where that kid is on the court, and you're going to go and cover him. So sure enough, uh, we missed a shot, and the other team got the rebound, and they launched it down the court. Well, guess who was there waiting for that interception, all right? There's Job with the steal, all right? <clears throat> couple, couple plays later... They get the rebound again, launch it down the court. Guess who's waiting there for the steal? 
Job is there, right? So they, they learned quickly that we had figured out um, their little scheme. Uh, but, but what was happening to our team? We were distracted, not necessarily even on bad things, because our team was trying to get rebounds, but we were distracted. We realized we were distracted. We adjusted it at halftime. Um, distractions come in all forms and all sizes. Uh, they come in all forms and fo- sizes, and they can get us to focus our attention where it shouldn't be. And sometimes the distraction happens right before us. We don't even know it's happening. Uh, there's a, a story that I read recently about one of the Soviet leaders uh, a, a number of years ago under the Soviet Union. There was a wave of, of petty theft, so they started putting guards at each of the factories. So when the factory workers left, um, they'd you know, inspect the men and make sure they weren't walking off with anything. So one of these workers... <clears throat> um, was walking out, and the guard was there, and he was stationed in every night, and, and he was familiar with these guys because he lived in the same town with them. But every night, this one gentleman, Peter, came with his wheelbarrow, and in the wheelbarrow, there'd be this great bulky sack with like a suspicious-looking object inside. So the guard would stop him and say, what do you have there? And he's like, oh, no, I just got, I just got sawdust and shavings. And so the guard would be like, okay, dump it out. So he'd dump it out, sawdust and shavings. And the guard would kind of like kick through it a little bit. There's nothing in there. So the guard would let him go. Next night, same thing. The wheelbarrow with this big, bulky sack. Looked like there was some type of suspicious object in it. What's in the bag? Just sawdust and shavings. Dump it out. He dumped it out. This went on for like a week or so. Finally, one night, the guy's coming out. And the guard's like, Peter, like, I know you. We're friends, all right? You tell me what you're smuggling out of here, and I'm just going to let you do it. And Peter looks at him and says, wheelbarrows, my friend. Wheelbarrows. (laughs) Pretty good distraction, right? Right under his nose, saw it every time, and let him go by with it. It's easy for us to be distracted. What are some things that can distract us that aren't necessarily bad? Come on, this is a little bit more interactive today. Sports, I heard. You got to speak louder, right? School. (laughs) Spoken like a true student. (laughs) Music. Kids. What else? That's all you guys got? <laughs> Fiancés. <laughs> yes, significant others. They can be a distraction. What else? What about movies? Entertainment, video games, sports, both watching it and playing it, friends. Now, are any of those things bad in and of themselves? No. So distractions can actually be good things. Um, But if they're distracting us from something great, then that's a problem. And listen, here's the thing. Satan will use distractions, and he is happy and more than fine with us to be distracted by okay things if they distract us from doing 
what God wants us to do. If they will get us off course, <clears throat> Satan is more than fine to use mundane things, neutral things, things like we just named, to keep our attention from where it really needs to be. Actually, if you think about it, even church itself can be a distraction. What do I mean by that? Well, even something like the lights, that can, be, that can distract you. Because you're thinking, oh, wow, the lights are too bright, or the lights aren't bright enough. Even the temperature can be a distraction. Like most of you probably, I, we won't get into who figures out the temperature in your home and who runs the thermostat, because that's probably a fight right there that'll happen. But you probably have like a few degrees that you like to keep it within, and you feel very comfortable. A couple degrees warmer, you're not so comfortable. A couple degrees cooler, you're not so comfortable. Right? <clears throat> but even something like that can be a distraction, even for here at church. Oh, it's too cold at church, it's too warm at church. What about the volume of the music? I know that's not an issue for any of you guys. But for those that, people that might struggle, it's too loud, it's too soft. All those things can actually be distractions to us. And <clears throat> um, if, we, if we wrote down and described what we thought would be the perfect church... Um, each one of us would have a different description. We really would. If we got into some details, how, what is the exact decibel level, how bright are the lights, what's the mu- we didn't even talk about music, it's too fast, it's too slow. We won't talk about the preaching. <laughs> it's too long. <clears throat> All of those things. Look, each one of us has different um, thoughts on maybe what we think would make the perfect church. If you can describe the perfect church, it would be the worst thing for you ever to try to create that church because that would be very selfish. It would be very self-centered and focused on you. Listen, all these things that I've mentioned, you know, the lights aren't as bright or not as bright just because I put them at a certain thing. The temperature is not set uh, by me. The, the volume of the songs, okay, that's, just, that's not me, as the senior pastor, calling all those shots. That's us doing what I think and what the elders think and what the feedback is for what we think is best for this church. All right? Um, I might like it louder or softer. I might like it brighter or not so bright. Um, so it's not about even what the guy standing behind the pulpit wants. All right? got to set my own personal preferences aside. And so do each of us. And all those things, those are such piddly things. I mean, if you think about it, friends, like we're so blessed. I mean, and we're so um, caught up in the things that God has blessed us with that we even argue about the brightness of lights. Like we're blessed to even be able to have lights that we can adjust the brightness on, you know? And even the volume, we're, we are so blessed that we can turn the volume up or turn the volume down. We're blessed to have a, a wireless headset that can easily project my voice with just me simply speaking at a normal level. All of those things. So God blesses us with those things, and then what do we do? We use them to cause division and frustration and distraction. So we need to reorient on even some of those really small things that we make a big deal out of and kind of let some of that stuff go to the side. It's just distraction. Okay, it's distraction. So I want to talk about where our focus 
should be. If we're distracted, we're not going to be on mission. And what helps us want to go and share the good news, that's really what I want to talk about in terms of what can distract us. And in the world of distraction, we need focus. So first, we set our focus on the Father. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Here's what Jesus says. He's instructing his disciples how to pray. Are you a disciple? Then he's instructing you. Verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. But when you go, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. All right, let's stop right there. See, Jesus is teaching us how to pray, and it starts out with our Father. And really, we could stop right there. Jesus' own focus was always to put it, the attention back on the Father. The Son points to the Father. All right? So you read through John, especially, and it talks about Jesus uh, receiving glory, but it's always, I want to glorify the Father, all right? And as he glorifies the Father, it talks about the, the Father glorifies the Son, right? But Jesus always wanted to point the attention to the Father. He submitted perfectly to the Father, even to the point of death, death on a cross. And he made sure that his focus was on the Father, Look at John chapter 5, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, then the Son does likewise. Friends, if we could just take this one verse right there and apply it to our lives, uh, we'd be in the perfect will of God. We'd walk with him perfectly. We'd please him every day. Jesus submitted himself unto the Father. Then notice in, back in Matthew what it says next. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed, I know it's kind of fallen. I mean, that's like a word from probably 100 or 200 years ago. All right? Every version, just about that I checked, still has hallowed in it. Even the NIV, all right, which is a little more contemporaneous version, has hallowed. What does that mean? It means holy. Holy. Holy be your name. So the attention is on the Father, but I want you to catch this. The attention is not just on the Father. That's important. But it's also on his character. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So our focus is on the Father and who he is. Jesus here, he's teaching his disciples how to pray, and he names one character trait of the Father. Just one. And what is it? Holiness. Holy be your name. Now, let's pause here because we're talking about prayer. I think we talked about being distracted in church. We can actually be distracted in our prayer life. 
Um, I'm not just talking about while we're trying to pray, we got this thing coming in our mind and that thing and kids knocking on the door and whatever. That, those are distractions for sure. But I'm just, th- I just want you to think for a moment about your own prayer life. Uh, what do you focus on in prayer? Because I think what we focus on in prayer can actually be things that we always shouldn't be praying so much. A lot of times our focus in prayer is like, me, 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 me. Help me, Lord, do this. Help me that. I mean, pray that. But if that's our focus, if that's our primary focus, again, we're putting the attention on ourselves. And we got to stop doing that. Jesus sets the pattern here. Where's the focus? On the Father and on his character. So if we want to follow that pattern, it's a pretty good pattern to follow. Jesus set it for us. Like when we start our prayers, it would be good for us to spend some time in prayer talking about God and his greatness, talking about his character, extolling him for how awesome he is. And that's really what Jesus is doing. Holy be your name. A lot of times our prayers, we get focused on material things. I think that's evidence of actually the prosperity gospel having an influence on us, and we don't even realize it. All of us in here, I don't don't think any of us believe in the prosperity gospel. Um, But let's check our prayers sometimes and see what is um, coming out of our mouths when we're praying. Is it materially focused? Well, I would submit to you that that is potentially the influence of the prosperity gospel in your life without you even realizing it. We get really focused on these things. And, and I get it. Give us this daily, daily bread. He brings that up later. <clears throat> and we need the daily bread. Uh, but how much daily bread do we need? You know? Uh, we need a loaf, right? To feed the family. We don't need 500 loaves or 5 million loaves. We don't need the bread company. Okay? So we need to be careful when we're praying to make sure that we are praying in accordance with God's will, that we're praying things that please him and that we're not being distracted in our prayer life itself. Okay? When we're praying, like think about it. When was the last time you've been praying for your coworkers, for your neighbors, for your lost family members? I mean, that should be at the forefront of our mouth. If we're wanting to seek God's glory, if we're wanting to see him do something, if we're wanting to see life change, that's what we should be praying. Look, a great view of God... Listen to me here. A great, view of, a, a great view of God helps our evangelism. And each one of us here, each one of you, you can understand anything a theologian can. All right? These things aren't removed from you. Look at what Acts chapter 4 says. Turn there with, with me. So this is Peter and John before the council. They're giving testimony. And look what it says in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I mean, it kind of almost like a little insult, all right? Uneducated common men, but it's really a tip of the hat to them. Because here they are bold. You don't need education to be bold. You don't need intellect to be bold. Look what it says at the end. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's 
was the difference. They didn't have degrees. They didn't have diplomas. They weren't officially certified as master disciples. But they had been with Jesus. They had spent time with him. It had made a difference. Let's talk about God and his transcendence for a second. That's the the belief and thought that God is greater than creation and independent of it. We looked at this at the Reformation Wednesday, uh, the last couple Wednesdays when we met. So God is greater than the creation and independent of it. He doesn't rely on creation. He doesn't need creation. Friends, we rely on creation. We need creation. All right? If, if God took away the creation and there was just you, you're going to be in trouble. It ain't going to last very long. We need it, but God doesn't. And he is infinitely beyond everything we can think of or imagine. A lot of times what happens is this. We think, when we try to think of, like, where does God belong, we think of it, like, in an ascending order. So maybe we start with, like, plant life or single cell, and then we'll go to, like, small animal, or maybe we'll start with, like, insects, and then small animal, and then bigger animal, and then man, and then maybe angel, and then maybe archangel, and then God. Okay, that would be thinking of things like in an ascending order. That is not how we should think about God. Because when we talk about God, there is no ascending order. There's no ascending order. When you think about it for just a second, listen to this. Um, God's not created. We We can't try to put him on any type of scale to do that really is an insult to him. Because all the things we're comparing him to are created things. He's not created. So this puts him in a class completely and wholly other. So God is just as high above the archangels as he is above the ants. And the gap that separates the archangel and God is still infinite. The gap between either of them, the ant or the archangel with God, is infinite. God is not a creature. Well, who is God? He's holy. He's majestic. He is full of glory. He is beautiful beyond comprehension. And the most beautiful thing you've ever seen on this earth pales in comparison to the beauty of God. Did you know that beauty is one of the attributes of God? It's probably not one that maybe automatically comes to your mind right away. You'll think of omniscience, omnipotence, all those omnis. But beauty is one of them. Well, what would be a good definition for beauty? It's the attribute of God whereby he is the sum of all desirable qualities. You want me to say that again? It's the attribute of God whereby he is the sum of all desirable qualities. Now, God, when we talk about God's perfection, that shows that he doesn't lack anything. Okay? Anything that would be desirable for God, he doesn't lack. But really, it's almost like the flip side of the same coin. Perfection talks about what he doesn't lack. Beauty talks about everything that he has, all the desirable qualities. Here's what Wayne Grudem said about this. This attribute, beauty, is defined in a positive way 
to show that God actually does possess all desirable qualities. Perfection means God doesn't lack anything desirable. Beauty means that God has everything desirable. They are two different ways of affirming the same truth. Nevertheless, there is value in affirming this positive aspect of God's possession of everything that is desirable. It reminds us that all of our good and righteous desires, all of the desires that really ought to be in us or in any other creature, find their ultimate fulfillment in God and no one else. And here's the, here's the shocker for some of you. <clears throat> this isn't because of anything God has done. All right, he isn't beautiful because he created the world. He isn't beautiful because he led the Israelites out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea. He isn't beautiful because he saved you. Those things, hold on to your seats, don't even add to his beauty. Think about it. If they added to his beauty, then that means his beauty was lacking without him doing those things. And there was something he had to do to get more beauty. And that means he wasn't infinitely beautiful to begin with. So those things might help us appreciate his beauty, and they should, but they don't add to it. God is infinitely beautiful, independently of anything he has ever said or done. He has existed for all eternity. And before he created the world... He was beautiful. Look at Psalm 27. He starts out in verse 1, a psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war... Arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Like one thing, right? That's what he says. One thing, verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I'll seek after. Dwell in his house and gaze upon his beauty. That one thing. Like we need to be in awe and wonder simply at who God is. He doesn't even have to do anything for us to be in awe and wonder of who he is. That's where our focus needs to be. On the Father. When we get a real biblical picture, a real biblical view of who God is, that is a great encouragement to want to share that view with other people. Second, we focus on Jesus. Look at Hebrews chapter 3. It says in verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. The apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. So consider Jesus. We focus on him. We put our eyes on him. 
not on the world, not on things that distract, not on things that can pull our attention away, on Jesus. That's where it needs to be. Right? Just like we talked about last week. Evangelism, it starts in the mirror. That means you need to be preaching yourself the gospel every day. You need to remind yourself of what God's done for you. What has he done for you? Like, just the fact that he did something for you, man, that's amazing. That he would send his son for you. That's, that's, I mean, that's beautiful. That's glorious. That should keep us in awe for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. What he has done just for you and you and you alone is amazing. And Jesus, just like we read earlier, submitted himself to the Father. They were in perfect union together. This perfect relationship with one another. And they covenanted together for the Son to come here to this earth, to live the perfect life, and to die, really, the perfect death, so that you could be reconciled to the Father. God didn't have to do it. If he didn't do it, it'd still be beautiful. But he did it. He did it to redeem a people for his own. So we focus on Jesus. We focus on the cross of what he's done for us. We remind ourselves that on the third day, the tomb was empty. Like, what was going on in that tomb? Why was it empty? Did you know the most logical and simplest explanation when you think about it? They got all sorts of answers and skeptics have all sorts of reasons, but the most logical and simplest is that Jesus rose from the dead. That's really where all the evidence points. So it's not, when we talk about faith, my friends, um, the, the, sometimes our culture talks about faith like you go against everything that all the facts point to. That's not faith, that's stupidity. Okay? That's foolishness. Um, faith <clears throat> can be supported by facts. It should be supported by facts. Faith, when we talk about faith, we're really talking about trust. Do you trust this information? Do you trust it enough to let it affect your life? Do you trust it enough that the person who did that, you'll give your allegiance to them? You'll submit, just like Jesus did to the Father, you'll submit to the Father. That's what's required when we talk about faith. Look at... A couple chapters later in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Right? Talking about distractions, essentially. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I did the Awana program, uh, which is a program for youth to memorize verses, and they play some games and different things, but years ago I did it, before I even got saved. And I remember this is 
one this, I think it was the very first, but if it wasn't, it was the one passage that I memorized that just for whatever reason stuck out to me then, and for years and years after, it still stuck out to me. And back then, um, we were memorizing in the King James. So it was, a little, it was a little trickier. And I remember standing at the bus stop every morning with my little Awana book, like trying to memorize verses so I could get my like Awana bucks and buy stuff in the store. Uh, God uses stuff like that. I memorized a lot of scripture because I wanted, you know, that little tiny basketball hoop, <laughs> all right, and a little tiny candy bar. Like God used, used that stuff because I was getting God's word hidden in my heart. But I remember um, in the King James, it was like the author and perfecter of our faith. I was always like the author, like Jesus is the author. Like I was always like, I'd stand at the bus stop just kind of chewing on that sometimes, trying to meditate as, as best as I possibly could as uh, whatever, seventh grader. And I was like, well, did he write something? Like he's the author, you know? <clears throat> just different questions that you know, were going through my mind. So he's the, the founder or the author of our faith. Like he is the one that has written, really he has written, a story for each one of us. He's, he's the author of our salvation. He's the one who wrote that story. He followed it out for each one of us so that we could be reconciled to the Father. Here's the thing. Well, let's look first at Colossians chapter 3. I'll say a couple things and then I'll wrap up. Colossians 3.1 If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. What a great verse to talk about not being distracted. We need to focus on the right things. Where do we set our heart? On things above. Well, who's above? The Father and the Son. Look what it says in verse 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Friends, that day is coming sooner than we think. That day is just around the corner. It's right upon us. And Christ says he is coming back. He is coming back to claim his bride, the church. And that verse is a beautiful thing because our life right now is hidden with Christ and God. He's going to come back, though, and we're going to see that in its full glory. We're going to understand what it means and everything that it entails. Yet we get distracted by little tiny things. We forget about things like that. Like through the different trials and afflictions we're going through. Like remind yourself of the goodness of God. Remind yourself of the gospel. Remind yourself of its beauty. Uh, One more verse. I I said I wouldn't go there, but we're going to go there. 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light 
of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You see that in the last verse, what it calls the gospel? It's the light of the gospel, right? Because when we have the gospel, that shines forth, that illuminates, that touches hearts, the light goes forth from the gospel, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. It is a glorious gospel. It is Jesus' gospel that he gives to us, a glorious thing. He gives it to each one of you here. Each one of you has it. You're given the gospel. Even right now, in the words that I'm saying, you're given the gospel. And some of you have taken hold of it and grasped the truth of it. You've realized the gloriousness of it. But don't be like what it says in some of these earlier verses that we just read. Don't be blinded. Like God wants to remove the blinders. He wants to remove the blinders from you so you can see the truth of the gospel. And what I want to emphasize here is it's the gospel of the glory of Christ. It's Christ's gospel and it is a glorious thing. It's good news. It's good news. Look, we're fallen. We fall short. We can't do anything to save ourselves. We can try all we want. All right? I tried for many years. All right? I thought if I did this and did that, like God would be happy with me. It's not about that, friends. The Bible is really clear that works don't save you. All right? And you wouldn't even want it to be set up that way. Because then we'd all be lost. All right? Because the scale would not tip in your favor. Trust me. It wouldn't tip in my favor either. It wouldn't tip in anyone's favor. Praise the Lord. It's not about works. We'd all be lost. God didn't set it up that way because you can't earn God's favor. You can't earn grace. That would be a contradiction. Grace is unmerited favor, unearned favor, favor that you didn't do something to earn. That is grace. So God pours out his grace. He's willing to pour it out. How does he do that? By the gift of faith. By the gift of faith. Right here I got a glass of water. Right? I'm thirsty. I'm going to take it. Can you just hold on a second? Thank you. The water, here's the illustration. The water is the grace, okay? If I'm in, in the middle of the desert and I got a thousand cups, is that, that going to do me any good? No. All right, I need the water. All right? So I, I got to have the water. That's what's going to preserve me. That's God's grace. All right? The faith is the cup. That's the instrument by which the grace is delivered to me. Just like the water. Okay? The cup is the instrument by which it is delivered. Does the cup preserve my life? No. It's the grace. It's the water. All right? Same thing, God's grace saves us. But how does it say it saves us? Ephesians 2, through faith. Okay? That is the instrument, the means by which. So you have to trust in Jesus for your salvation. You have to trust in what he did for you for the forgiveness of your sins. That's the cup. You get the cup, then you get the water. That's how it works. Right? God's grace saves you. God wants to give you his grace. He wants to pour it out upon you. But you have to trust. 
you have to trust. And each one, has to, uh, each one of us has to make that decision. Will we trust? Will we trust in what Jesus did for us? Was it enough for us? I encourage each one of us to put our trust in Christ. That is what saves us. He and he alone. Only through Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are so good to us. We thank you that you sent your son to die for us. And Lord, I pray for each person here. You give them the gift of faith that even now people might humbly trust in you and the work of your son. Remove the blinders. We thank you, Lord, that you are so beautiful, that you truly are unlike any other. Lord, continue to remind us of your beauty. Continue to remind us of the cross and the empty tomb of your Son, and what he did for us. Help us to take the gospel and make it a reality in our own lives. Do your work in us, Lord. Help us to set our eyes on you and your son. To heed your call to go forth to be faithful witnesses of you, Lord. We pray. Amen.